Amen. What a day that will be. Amen. Uh, again, this, this morning, uh, today being Appreciation Sunday, which is a day that we want to recognize and just collectively say thank you for all who serve here at the church. Um, again, following the service this morning, we will have uh, a potluck luncheon. And so let me just say it now in case I forget to say it later. Uh, if you did not bring something, a dish to pass or whatever, uh, please do not feel like you cannot stay. There will be plenty of food, I'm sure. And at least I know there's a lot of desserts. So we'll fill up with something. Uh, and I did see quite a few crock pots lining the counter, which is always great. Uh, but we are going to do that after service today. So please, uh, you are welcomed and invited. We hope that you will be able to stay with us to just kind of celebrate fellowship together, uh, just have some great conversations. And so we're excited and looking forward to that. also want to say uh, just how amazing it is to have uh, some very special guests with us today. Um, and I'm not going to have them stand or come on the stage or anything like that. Maybe I should just make Connie. She'd probably love that, Ray. Um, uh, Ray and Connie Garcia are visiting with us this morning. So yeah, absolutely. I, I was running around this morning and, and I saw him in the kitchen for a few minutes and I asked Ray uh, when they're moving back. And he kind of looked at me kind of funny and said, what? And I said, well, I've been praying for, you know, I just want to know, is the conviction kicking in yet? Are you getting convicted? He said, well, we're convicted to visit. And I said, well, that's a step in the right direction. We're moving down the right path. Um, it is great to have those with us. It's great to have Nikki and Judy Hodges with us this morning as well. Yes, absolutely. I, I miss these guys so much. Um, and just again, like you guys are always welcome. Like I got a room, we can put you up, basement somewhere. Um, and be praying for the Elianos. They're heading out soon-ish. I think it was like three weeks ago. I was like, he's like, we're leaving, leaving Thursday. Sunday comes around, he comes in church and says, uh, what's going on? We're leaving Thursday. Okay, all right, yeah, all right. So they're praying for these guys as they get ready to head out here. And so uh, excited to have them with us for this extended visit, though. It's great to have them. And so um, for those that don't know, um, these guys have all kind of moved and relocated and whatnot. So we're excited when they're in the area that we get to spend some time with them. And so, um, but we are excited for this morning as well because we get to, again, just appreciate all that God is really dislike it if I was to put faces on the screen and have them come forward and all of that. So we don't do that. Uh, but we want to recognize just collectively uh, those that, that serve here in so many different capacities. Um, and honestly, uh, we are the church that we are because of the blessings of God and the moving of the Spirit through a church that's willing to love God love others, and love to serve. And I believe that willingness of our church to say, you know what, I'm willing to step up and allow God to use me in this way. We know God receives all the glory, right? This is his church. This is not our church. This is not your church. I know what we mean when we say that. I love saying I love my church. But we know, while yes, this is our church as this is our body, it is his church, right? He is Lord and Savior of the body, and he is the head of the church. But I do believe that God equips every believer with gifts and talents and then calls those individuals into a local church where then they can use their gifts and talents to serve the body and serve the community. And so when we say we recognize those who are serving, please understand we know that it's God working in them, but Paul says it so well that we honor those who should be honored. And we want to honor those who serve in this ministry. Now, I know as soon as I say that, there are individuals right now that are serving in junior church and serving in nursery ministry. And so for those individuals, they actually are currently doing what we want to thank them for. So here's what we're going to do. Now, don't go right up to them 
as soon as they come out of the classroom. And don't do it all together because that will be really weird and it will look staged and we don't want that. Sometime before you leave the building, uh, maybe in the, in the luncheon or maybe when you pick your kids up from class. But again, if you're in line getting your kids and someone says it in front of you, just be like, well, I guess we got to do it later. And just don't, okay? Because it's going to be weird, okay? We don't want to be weird, okay? But I want you to thank them. I want you to just say thank you to them. Now, it doesn't mean you got to buy them a gift and give them a card. And those things are great. I, I love doing that stuff. But maybe you would just say, hey, I just want you to know, like, I appreciate what you do. Like, you don't even realize, and some of you who serve in ministry know that makes a huge impact. We don't serve for the thank yous, right? Because any of you that have served in ministry for an amount of time, you know that if you served for the thank yous, you wouldn't serve very long. Not because people don't want to say thank you, but we're all busy and we all get wrapped up in ourselves. And sometimes, if we're being honest, we just don't think about it. We don't mean to not say it. We just don't always think about it. And so that's okay to admit that. We also don't serve for it because we serve for Christ. We, we know that one day we will be rewarded and give those rewards back to him as worship to him, all that we do for Christ. And so we don't serve for the thank yous, but it's so great to be a part of a church that is willing to appreciate those who serve. I just want to take a moment and share that this is true of not just myself, but Sandra and I are so grateful for every single person that serves, every volunteer, every, every junior church teacher, every person who helps in a classroom, our Word of Life leaders, all of the volunteers that help throughout the week. Uh, we could not be in ministry here without the support of this ministry and this church. Uh, week in and week out, there are those who do things you don't even know about. Uh, you come into a building that's clean. We don't pay anyone to clean our buildings. We don't pay anyone to clean our bathrooms, although that's the job that I would definitely have to be paid to do. I'm just, I'm kidding. I've cleaned the bathroom here before. But I have, to, I have to say, like, it's just amazing to be a part of a church where people come in and, and week in and week out, they're just here. And they're vacuuming the floors and they're doing the trashes and they, they're just committed to it. Not because anyone knows that they're even doing it. But they just love the church and they love what God has done in their lives through this ministry. And they're thinking, how can I give back? How can I do something to say thank you to the body? Well, you know what? When you walk into a building that's clean, you walk into a restroom that's clean, that's their way of serving you. That's their way of being a blessing to you. When you walk into a classroom where a teacher's prepared and ready to go, I'm not going to say how prepared or how ready to go, because if you've ever taught in junior church, you know there's sometimes it's just you're not prepared, Okay. And that's when you just go open up to Exodus something or other, and we're just going to read, okay? We're just going to go around the room and just read in a circle. That's how I remember when I was in high school. When I walked into Sunday school one time when the teacher wasn't ready. And she's like, okay, everybody, we just sat in a big circle in the room. And she's like, open up to whatever. I think it was some Old Testament book. And she's like, we're just going to start reading. And everybody read like five verses. And I'm thinking, you just don't have a lesson. Like, you're just not ready. Like, this is ridiculous. But when you walk into those rooms and you walk into those classrooms and people are ready and prepared... That didn't just happen in five minutes. You understand these teachers are preparing for hours before they walk in the building. They're praying for your children, your grandchildren. They're pay praying for wisdom and how to communicate the word of God effectively to them. And so again, whether it's little or big in the eyes of man, it makes a difference. To our leadership team, our deacons and our trustees who come alongside Pastor Greg and I, and help us in understanding what God would have us to be as a church. Uh, I, I truly have to say this. There's so many, over the years of ministry, I've been the senior pastor now for, for 10 years. I've been here for 17 years in ministry, on staff. 
it's just amazing when I've met other pastors and ministry in different churches in different areas. When I say things like, I, I have a deacon meeting coming up. Over the years, pastor friends go, oh, I'll be praying for you. And if you're not familiar with church or you've not been in church a long time, there's not always the greatest um, connotation with that. There's always this little bit of an undertow of like, oh, that's going to be rough, you know. Can I honestly tell you that while we don't have a perfect church with nobody who's perfect, we know we're saved and redeemed in Christ, but we're not perfect in the flesh, I honestly, genuinely look forward to sitting with our leadership team. I love sitting with those guys and just, man, there's so much laughter and there's some, some lighthearted ribbing going on. I won't say who gets who, but Greg gets me pretty good most nights. But, um, but it's so good to sit with those men and just, and just talk about things. And you know what's amazing is when they share their ideas and they share their thoughts and their desires, I know it's for the best mindset of our church. Their, their best interest is, I want the church to grow. I want the church to be fruitful. I want the church to be what God wants it to be. And so when these men come and sit, it, there's such a bond there and I love it. And it's so good. And so I'm so thankful for our deacons and our trustees and those that serve in leadership here in that way and that do things, again, that you, you wouldn't even know, but they have a hand in this ministry. I'm so thankful for our worship team that leads us in worship every single Sunday morning. And now again, you may not know this. I know they're very good musicians and very good singers. Uh, they do practice, believe it or not. They have to rehearse this stuff. They don't just get up on a Sunday morning. Well, maybe some of them do wing it. I don't know. But um, I'm not, again, I won't name names. But um, these guys come out week in and week out and prepare and plan and, and rehearse and learn new music. And, and they just put the work in. And not because they want to entertain you. Now, this is not a performance. This is not you watching worship. This is them leading us in worship. That when we come as worshipers, we don't come to stand and say, well, they do a great job at worship. No, 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 no. We come and say, we are worshiping with them as they lead us before the throne. And so again, worship, the time of music, it's not a get to your seat song. It's not a time filler thing. It's an amazing time to come before the Lord. And we unpacked this actually on Wednesday night going through our Exodus study. We talked about in Exodus 15, the song of Moses and the time of praise where they just rejoiced in all that God had done and all that God was going to do. And so our worship team is, is vital in the sense of leading us into worship. And I appreciate every single one of them that prepare and, and work and practice and I know it's not easy to get up here and, and play an instrument or get up here to sing. There's fear and there's, you know, uncertainty. Like, did I hit that note? Did I hit this note? It was so funny. Last night we were coming to the widow's banquet and Sandra, who has an amazing voice, by the way, love her voice. But, um, and I can say that because she's not in here. She'd be all red right now if I said that and she was in here. But um, she had the, you know, the CD going in the van and stuff. And, and she went through it the first time. And we're driving along. Keith will appreciate this. We're driving along. And she finishes it. And she looks at me and goes, oh, something was wrong there. And I was like, okay. You know, I don't know. And she goes, did I sound off key to you? <laughs> I literally looked at her and I went, you're asking me? <laughs> and she went, oh, never mind. <laughs> started the track over, started singing. Oh, yeah, I was off key. Now I'm good. And I was like, I didn't sound all that much different to me. I don't know. You know, what's key? I don't know. Just sing it. Who cares? Have fun with it. Whatever. But, but that stuff takes work. 
our soloists that come up and sing, those, those people that come up and sing and, and lead us in worship and instruments, they don't just get up and do that on the fly and on the spur of the moment. They prepare and they work and they practice. And, and some of them get extremely nervous coming up here, not because they're worried what you will think, but man, they know this is for him. And they're going to give their all. And they're going to give their best. And so I'm so thankful for those that lead us in worship, whether it be in the worship band or those that come and do specials or offertories and things of that nature. I'm so thankful for every teacher, every person that serves in a classroom, every person who serves beyond the scenes, ministry leaders in our women's ministry, those that serve on the committee that help plan events, those that come out and decorate, those that came out yesterday. It's just amazing to see. And, and as I talk about all of that, and there is a message here, there is going to be a sermon, believe it or not. So we will get there. And I know the potluck's going and I am watching the time. So just so you know, I want to make sure those crock pots don't get too overdone. You know, I want to make sure we're good on that. But this morning, the title is, is very simple. It, it takes a team. It takes a team. No ministry is one person. If you come here because of any one part of our ministry, you're missing out on what the church really is all about. And I'll share just briefly, this is years and years and years and years and years ago, and nobody here would even probably know this person, and they meant it with good intentions, but they, we were talking and visiting with them and just talking about the church, and at that time we had a choir, and this person said, you know, I, I, I just love the choir at North Goodland, and it was a it was a pretty sweet choir. I'm not going to lie. It's pretty awesome. Okay. I'm not going to say all who were in it and who was good or bad. But anyway, they, there was there were some good singers and there was some, you know, it was a choir. So um, I loved choir singing. You know why? Because you can just blend in. Watermelon, watermelon. Like nobody knows you're singing or not singing. It's all good. So I remember we were sitting with this person and talking and they said they loved the choir. And I was like, that's really cool. I, I mean, I love the choir too. And they said, you know, I think the only reason I go to North Goodland is because of the choir. Now, I wasn't the preacher, so I didn't get too offended. But I, I remember sitting there and I was just like, my jaw just like literally dropped open. I, like, you can think that, but to say that to like someone on staff at the church, like that seemed kind of, I remember thinking, I was like, oh, uh, you mean that's like what you love about the church? And then she went, no, if there was no choir and if it wasn't as good as it is, I probably wouldn't come. Now, I, she didn't mean that mean, understand. She meant it as a, as a compliment, right? But the idea is we don't come and gather to worship because of any one thing. I think we have an amazing children's ministry. I love our teachers and they do a great job and junior church and word of life. And I love the way they invest in kids. But if someone comes just for the children's ministry, they're missing the big picture of what church is really all about, right? They're missing and on cue, the baby cries. Talking about children. But if we come gathered worshiping, saying, no, I'm here because I'm a part of the church. Because all of it is to the glory of God. Now we start engaging with what God is doing. Now we start being invested and involved in what God is doing. Again, it's not one thing. It's not, this church will never be built upon the pastor, upon my style of preaching. And I know what people mean when they say that, and I appreciate that. I really do. I understand what they mean, and it is meant to be a compliment. And so thank you. If you've ever said that, I don't take offense to that. But understand, my heart is this church will never be built upon the personality of the senior pastor. Because I've seen that in many churches 
And when that senior pastor leaves, I'm not going anywhere, okay? You guys are going to have to like drag me out of here if you want me to leave. But if I was ever to be called away, man, I've seen churches where they built upon the pastor and it, it crumbles. Dr. Sewell at BBC always said it well. He said, if you build the church upon the pastor, and he's speaking to a room of pastors, so he said, if you build the church upon yourselves, when you leave, the church will crumble. If you build the church upon Jesus Christ, when you leave, the church will flourish. And to be honest, it's just we have to think that way. It's not any one person. It's not any one individual or teacher or ministry. It's the church. And we, we are involved in a church. That's why the shirts say, I love North Goodland. Not I love this teacher or that ministry because it's I love the body. I love the church. And so we need to understand it takes a team coming together in all that God desires to do. Second Timothy chapter 4. Turn there with me. If you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats in front of you and around you in those aisles there, there are some Bibles that we're providing. Uh, you can just grab one of those and use one of those Bibles if you don't happen to have one with you uh, or on your device. Uh, and you can just turn to page 841. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats there, you can just turn to page 841. And we'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 19 through 22. So if you're using a Bible provided, page 841 or 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 19. Now there's a lot of names here. I'm going to do my best, okay? So if I slaughter one of these names, don't look up, don't snicker, okay? Don't, no judgment, okay? This is the house of God. We're grace, okay? Give me, give me some love and grace, okay? But I want to look at this this morning and make a couple observations as we continue through the the service. Verse 19. Now, Paul's writing here to Timothy, and this is the last letter that Paul writes before he's martyred. In chapter 4, uh, the earlier part of the chapter, uh, he talks about his life being given up as a sacrifice. He's ready to be poured out as a drink offering. That means he's willing to be martyred for his faith. And he was actually, uh, the Apostle Paul was beheaded for his faith. And the tradition was that he would have been turned upside down and all of the blood would have ran out. And so when he talks about being poured out as a drink offering, being a Roman citizen, he was not just merely using a figurative idea. He was literally saying, I know what's going to be involved in my death. And I'm very much okay with that because it's going to be an offering to God and to, to what God has done in my life. And so it's just amazing his attitude. He's in prison. He's in what's believed to be the Mamertine prison in Rome. Uh, he is uh, in a very dungeon kind of prison. And yet when you read 2 Timothy, you don't read him complain about it. If I was in a dungeon and I wrote a letter to someone in the church, I don't think I would be as non-complaining as, as he is here. But he doesn't complain. He just understands this is what God's will is. Uh, because earlier we read in another epistle that he has learned in whatsoever state he is therewith to be content. So let's look at how he ends this letter to Timothy, who's a pastor in Ephesus, and he writes this in chapter 4, verse 19. Salute, or this idea of greeting, Priscilla and Aquila, the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trof Trof I'm sorry, Trophimus have I left uh, Miletum sick. So this individual was sick, and he left him there. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Uh, Eubulus greeteth thee, Pudens and Linus, or Linus, sorry, Linus, and Claudia and all the brethren. Now, lots of names there. Look at verse 22. 
The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Now, if you do a, a quick look, you're going to count a couple different names here, individuals that Paul is referencing here. Now, in the New Testament letter type form, it would be often normal to end with a greeting. We would usually start a letter with a greeting. We would say, dear so-and-so. And there is some of that in the New Testament when he says, I write to these individuals. But at the end, they will often do some type of a greeting where they will acknowledge other individuals that are either ministering in the church they're writing to or ministering with the one writing the letter. And that's what we see here. These names that sound really weird to us and foreign, but these names are important not because of the names, but because Paul took a moment under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to acknowledge these individuals. Now, we know some of these names. We recognize Priscilla and Aquila and so on. A couple of these names sound familiar to us because they ministered with Paul in the book of Acts. But other names we may not know as well. Now, you can do a word study and look up these names and find out who they were. Some of them we have some information on. Some we don't have much of any information on. But the point isn't so much who they were. The point is that Paul took time to identify them. That's what I want to draw from this passage this morning. Because it takes a team to do what the church is called to do. You see, Paul was the greatest Christian missionary that we've ever read of. He did more for the cause of Christ in a short time than anyone else. I mean, he traveled, some believe, almost 10,000 miles by foot. He preached the gospel in the known world. He sees the first convert in Europe come to Christ in Acts chapter 16. He wrote a third of the New Testament he established churches and built churches and planted churches where churches still are today. You could argue and suggest the reason Christianity spread through Europe was because of Paul's mission and mindset to reach people for Christ. He actually says in one epistle that he desired to go as far away as Spain. His desire was to get to Spain preaching the gospel. Unfortunately, his life was taken before he could do that. It's just amazing to see what Paul did. But I want to pause here and say, Paul didn't do this alone. Obviously, he had the, the indwelling and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. But he also had individuals that worked with him. Paul wasn't a super robo-Christian. He needed help. And he lists in multiple epistles individuals that served with him. He also writes about those who walked away from the faith or walked away from the ministry and how much it crushed him and hurt him. And to be honest, Paul would never have seen God do what God did in Paul's life without an individual named Barnabas who was willing to go to Paul, put his arm around Paul and say, I believe in you. I believe that you came to Christ. I want to help you. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to, I'm going to stand with you and I'm going to serve with you. And the reason that Paul went to Antioch and began his great ministry, which is where the Holy Spirit called Paul, was because Barnabas said, come with me, Paul. Let's go minister for Christ. See, it takes a team. It's not one man or one individual that does these things. It takes a team. And I want to show this morning quickly that Christ set this model in motion. That Christ actually began demonstrating this example of this, this model of teamwork and working together for the cause of Christ. Go over to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 if you're getting, using a Bible provided, you can just turn to page 720. Luke 
Luke chapter 6. In case anyone is curious, and I don't, don't remember me saying this, this awesome bracelet that I'm wearing, you can be pretty jealous. It's okay. Um, I'll, it's allowed in this moment. Um, uh, one of our uh, children in our children's ministry made this for me. It says, I love my church. So um, I thought it was appropriate to wear today. I don't usually wear bracelets, but uh, this one I have to wear. So I uh, love it. So Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. It says here, and it came to pass in a familiar passage. It came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray, this being Christ. And continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto his disciples, and one of them he chose, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Simon, who he also named Peter, Andrew, his brother James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotus, Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. Now, again, this is amazing to me that we see this list of names. Why? Because Jesus chose disciples that would go out into the world and lay the foundation that is the church. Acts chapter 2, it's all about them going out and beginning to spread the gospel. Acts chapter 2, all the way through the end of the book, is Jesus implementing Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will be my witnesses. Then they went out and were witnesses. And actually, at the end of chapter 7, we read about the stoning of Stephen, who was a, uh, a servant of Christ. He was actually one of the first deacons. And as he was stoned and he was killed for his faith, Acts chapter 8 begins with this great dispersing of Jewish believers into the known world. They were leaving Jerusalem because of the great persecution. Isn't it amazing? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. By the time we get to the end of seven, there's great persecution. One of the Christians, one of the first deacons was just killed for his faith, and they began to flee, fulfilling the very will of God that God said would happen in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But yet they most likely saw that persecution as a negative. Well, God, why would you allow this? And God's sitting saying, this is my will. This has to happen so that the world will hear the gospel. And I know we have a hard time with that, but we have to step back and say, God, even when I don't understand your will, as we acknowledged a couple weeks ago, when I don't understand your will, I trust your heart. And so I'm going to be submissive and, and, and obedient and just go, even though I don't understand. And that's what we see happening in Luke, or I'm sorry, in Acts chapter eight. But in Luke six, we see the calling of those disciples. They're chosen of Christ. But I want you to note, not just that he chooses disciples, by the way, Jesus could have done it by himself. Amen. Jesus is God, the son of God, God, man, and he didn't need the disciples. He's God. He could do it without them, but he chose to use disciples. Why? Because that's been God's pattern since Genesis. Why did God call Abraham and originally Abram? Not because God couldn't do what he wanted Abram to do. But he chose Abram because he wanted to use Abram. He wanted Abram to be fulfilled in him. And then he goes out and he does the will of God. And now there's a relationship there. God is glorified. And man, as the creation of God, can understand our purpose in life in service to our king. And we experience joy and peace and just an amazing relationship with Christ. And so here we see that Jesus chooses these disciples not because he couldn't do it without them, but he wanted to choose them. And to use them for his glory and for their blessing. We can learn so much from not only how he ministered to the disciples, how he used them and how they ministered others, but in who he actually chose. 
Now, so many would say, well, yeah, but the disciples this and the disciples had this talent. The disciples, spiritually speaking, had nothing to offer. They were ordinary, normal men, not religiously trained, who simply made the decision to follow Christ in faith. They had nothing to offer. They weren't financially successful. They weren't elite in the community. They weren't religious leaders. And in fact, in Acts, it says that when they were turning the world upside down because they were preaching Christ, people said, these guys are ignorant, foolish men. Spiritually, they're ignorant. I'm in that camp. I am not an intelligent man as far as compared to other individuals who have, you know, vast amounts of knowledge and wisdom in different areas. But you know what I love in the book of Acts? It says, but we know they sat with Jesus. And at the end of the day, that's all we need. Man, when we sit with Christ, we will have all we need. You see, the key is that the work of Christ is not accomplished only by pastors who happen to be on staff at a church, by deacons or those in positions of leadership. It is done through the church body as a whole. We're all needed. You might think, well, I'm just an ordinary person. I just work every day in this normal job. I don't, nothing super unique about me. If you know Christ and you're willing to submit to his leadership and say, I'm going to follow you, he will use you. He will use you right where you are. Not only did Christ set forth this example, but Christ is our shepherd and our guide. He leads us as the good shepherd. When he desires us to obey his commands and we submit to that leadership, he will lead us and guide us. It is because obedience to him will lead to seeing fruit produced in our lives for his glory. Oftentimes we will question his leadership in our lives thinking we know best. Well, this can't be really what God wants. But in reality, we must follow him even when we don't fully understand the why. And that's what faith is. It's faith in who he is according to his word, not faith in him showing us the outcome of every path before we ever take it. We walk by faith and not by sight. I think about this idea that we have a guide in Christ, one who leads us and calls us and gives us commands. And we don't always understand why we need to do it, but we need to obey. And I, I was thinking back to years ago, I won't say how many years ago that Sandra and I were in the college and career class here before we got married, uh, but it was just a couple years ago. So you use your imagination. Um, but we did a whitewater rafting trip and it was, it was amazing. It was one of the coolest things I've ever done. Um, but one thing that struck out to me as I was thinking about this idea is how we serve Christ as our guide. Uh, we had a guide in the raft with us. And so we were, I think there were six of us in the raft, one of those big rafts. And as you're coming through the rapids, as you're approaching it, the guide's in the back. Now he knows the rapid, he knows what to do, how to do it, how to approach it, how to get out of it, all that stuff. And so as we're approaching it, he starts giving us commands. Okay, you guys row, you guys row, you guys do this, you guys do that. There wasn't time, understand, to stop and talk about why. Hey, I need you guys to row. Really? Now? I don't know. I don't, that doesn't seem right. Because if you questioned the guide, two things happened. One, he yelled a lot louder. That was the first thing he said. We got in the boat. I said, man, I don't know about this. He said, don't worry. I yell really loud. And when I'm scared, I yell even louder. So you'll be fine. The other thing I realized is that if you didn't obey his commands in that moment, you're going in the water. You're getting thrown. Now, we were one of the only rafts in our group that did not actually get thrown. 
Okay, we got really close. There was one time we were going down this rapid and I was in the front of the raft and I looked back and I'm in the air and the raft's down, like everyone else is down there. And I, there's no water around me. I'm rowing just air, like just waiting for the water to get there. Come on, where's the water? Okay. But I remember thinking in this moment, if we understand that, we get that, that makes sense. I need the guide. I need him to lead me because I don't know what I'm doing, right? I don't want to die. So I need to listen to this guy who knows what he's doing. But when we think about our spiritual lives, it's the exact same way. We want to stop and question every time the Spirit leads. We want to know, yeah, but why? And how's it going to turn out? And what about this? And the Spirit's saying, would you just listen and obey? And we teach our children this, but sometimes as adults, I think we forget the simplicity of obedience for the sake of obedience. God does not have to explain to us why we should obey. We just need to obey because he is God. He is the Savior. He is our Lord. When we realize that we can obey exactly where we are, be used of God exactly as we are, when we realize that we have been gifted and placed in a position where we can serve, we need to follow the guide's leading. We don't have time to debate or question. We merely follow. Because there are rapids out there that our friends, family, and even church will go through. And if you're ready for them or not ready for them, they're coming. They're they're just coming. And so let's work together as a team, preparing and being ready for that rapid, listening to the leadership of our guide. So when we enter the rapid, it's still going to be rough. It's still going to be scary. There's going to be danger, but we can go through that with his leadership. And then when we come out the other side, we're able to help others who maybe got thrown in the process, but we're able to pick them up and lift them out and encourage them and be there for them. Why? Because we're working as a team. Not only do we need to understand that Christ is our example and our guide, we also need to, as a team, expose our excuses. Expose our excuses. Three things we need to expose, and then we're going to be done. Three things we need to expose that I believe when we expose these things in our lives, we will see that we can serve and we can be used of God for his glory and our blessing. We can work together when we remove these things in our lives. So three things I believe that many of us as believers struggle with. We need to expose our fear of knowledge. And maybe it should be expose our fear of a lack of knowledge. This is when we just don't think we know enough to be used effectively. I just don't know. If, if I just knew more, then I could be used by God. Stop putting your limitations on God. Now, do we grow in knowledge? Do we grow in understanding? Of course, we study God's word. There's beauty in that. But if you are sitting back going, man, I don't know nearly as much as that man or, or that woman. I mean, they really know the Bible. I don't really know the Bible. If you know Jesus, you know enough to get started. So just get started. Yes, we study God's word. We, we, we understand it. We, we read other things that will help us in our understanding, but we don't wait till we reach some level of knowledge that now we can be used of God. Because if you're using that excuse, you'll never know enough. You'll never know enough. You'll always think you need to know more. Charles Stanley says it well and really says it best. If we submit ourselves to God and obey his word to us, he will make us competent for whatever task he gives us. If we submit ourselves to God and obey his word, he will make us competent for whatever task he gives us. If he calls you, he'll equip you. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips those who he's called. And when you step up and step out, there's going to be questions. There's going to be unknown. And that's okay. 
But if you step up and step up and say, God, I just want to be used, man, he will be glorified. So we expose our fear of knowledge or maybe the lack thereof. We expose our fear of commitment. We don't really want to commit. Maybe that's part of the problem. In a day and age of church hoppers and church shopping, which is two common phrases you hear nowadays, there's churches on every corner. It's easy to not commit to one church. I, however, believe that based in the word of God, and as we've been going through in our membership class, I believe God wants you to be a part of a local church. I believe God wants you committed to a local body. Why? For service, yes, but accountability, for encouragement to others. We live in a day and age today where, where literally people are jumping churches every three to six months. They go here and they go there and they go here and they go there. And I try this one. I try that one. I like the coffee over there. I like the band over there. I like the kids ministry over here. Man, it's not so much a knock against the churches. It's you're eliminating something that God wants to do in your life where he wants to connect you to a body where you can be involved, have relationships. James says that we need to pray for one another. Well, how do we do that if we don't know one another? So it's about being committed to that local body where God has planted you. Now, that's not to say that God will plant you someplace and some time goes by and God desires you to move and relocate or go somewhere else. Then he's leading you that way. But if I'm in a community and I'm in an area for a long period of time, I'm going to find a church to be grounded in because I need that. I need that connection with the body of Christ. So we expose our fear of knowledge or the lack thereof. We expose our fear of commitment. I just don't know if I want to commit. I promise you, when you commit to a local church, there will be great blessing in that. And then lastly, we expose our fear of failure. This is, I would step up and serve, but what if I mess up? What if I don't do it right? What if I fail? What if I blow it? What if nobody thinks I'm doing a good job? You continue to serve. You continue to trust. You continue to focus on Christ because you will step out and serve. And some people won't agree, won't like it, won't think you're doing a good job. That's okay. I heard a story about Craig Groeschel, who is the lead pastor of, um, wow, gone, just like that. Um, Life Church? Life Church. I think, like a, a, I think it was a young married's class. And like, you, need to, you just need to be done. You're just not, you're just not a good enough leader to lead this ministry. We just don't think it's a good fit. And the pastor, he went to the pastor. He said, what do you want to do? And the guy said, do you believe God's called you to this ministry? And he said, yes. And he said, okay, then keep doing it. Well, what about them? Don't worry about them. They're not called to lead the ministry. You are. They'll be fine. So he began to lead and grow. Do you know that right now he pastors a church that is actually the church. If you have a version Bible app on your phone, his church made that. His church has multiple campuses in multiple states. We're talking multiple tens of thousands of people attend his ministry. Churches all over the world are using resources that he puts out to local churches free of charge. Sermon outlines, graphics, videos, things that would cost hundreds of dollars. His church just does it for free because they want to be a blessing to the local church. And all because he listened to someone that believed in what God was doing in his life and said, I'm not going to let these talk me out of this. I'm going to keep going and keep serving. Is it all about him? No, that's the point. It doesn't matter who it is because if it was inhumanized, he would have quit a long time ago. But it's about what God is calling us to. One more quote, and then we're going to close because those crockpots, they are smelling a good. Okay. We should open the doors if they want me to speed up and go faster so the smell gets in here better. One author said it this way in talking about God working in and through us. 
Because I know we all fear failure, but we need to step up and believe that God will get us through. It doesn't mean we won't fail. We will. But when we fail, we pick up, we believe he restores, and we move forward. One author said this, The good work has its initiation and regeneration. That's the salvation of our souls in Christ. That's in the past. The good work that God is going to do in us and is doing in us has its initiation and regeneration has its continuation in sanctification. That's the process of making us holy in the present. And will have its consummation in glorification, which is the future glorification we will all experience in Christ. In the past, there was God's unchanging purpose. In the present, there is God's unlimited power. And in the future, there is God's unbreakable promise. But what if I fail? Listen, God has saved you, redeemed you, restored you, gifted you, given you the spirit of God. You're going to walk through this life. You're going to serve. You're going to try and you're going to fail. And that's okay. But when we stumble, when we fall, we get back up in grace and we say, God, keep my eyes on you. Help me to get better at this. Help me to grow as a leader. Help me to grow in this way that I might glorify you and bless others. I'm going to ask that we would bow our heads in a word of prayer. And I'm going to ask that you would begin right there where you are to just pray. And honestly, ask God, what excuses are you giving him for not serving? What excuses are you giving him for not sharing your faith at work or at school? What is it that God is calling you to that you know he's calling you to, but maybe you've put limitations on him because you see your limitations? And by the way, our limitations, humanly speaking, are many. We're all limited in some way, but God is not limited by what limits you. And so maybe you would pray right there where you are and say, Lord, give me wisdom and guidance. Help me, Lord, to focus my eyes on you, to direct my attention to you. To know that if I'm just willing, that you have given me all that I need in Christ. I know my flesh wants to fill me with fear. I know the enemy wants to convince me that I'm not good enough. Maybe there's somebody here that in your past there was a sin issue. And maybe you feel like because the enemy's been whispering to you that because of that sin issue that you can't be used now. That's nowhere to be found in Scripture. And in fact, these heroes of the faith that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11 that we sang about this morning that one day we will stand with before the throne and sing and shout praises to his name. All of those heroes that you look up to, they stumbled They fell, and it's not okay. It's not condoned. It was never encouraged. But when they repented, turned from their sin, even those that knew God and had a relationship with God that stumbled, received forgiveness when they turned, acknowledged their weakness, acknowledged their sin, repented of it, and turned back to God. And so maybe you're here this morning, and you would say, you know what, I've repented of my sin. I I know God has forgiven me, but I just can't seem to get over it. I just don't think I'm good enough then that's an enemy, or that's a lie from the enemy trying to convince you to stay out of the race. But as we said last week, we all have a race to run. And we just need to be patient, focused on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith who will lead us and guide us. So Father, may you be glorified in all of this. Give us wisdom and guidance in how we apply this message today for your glory. And Lord, I thank you again for all those that serve. Maybe somebody would like to come this morning, bend a knee, and just thank you and praise you for the volunteers and the servers and those that help. And and maybe as a church, just thank you for your grace and working through us and in us. And thank you for their willingness to serve. Father, in all these things, we ask again that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As we have a time of invitation, this is really just a chance for you to respond to what God is doing.
And let me just share, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, and maybe you've gone to church your whole life, you know the Bible, you know the gospel, but you don't know Christ, then maybe this morning you would repent of your sins, trust in Christ who died on the cross for your sins, believe and put your faith and trust in him, and he will save you. It's not good works or religion that gets to heaven. It's the faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so maybe you need to do that this morning. Whatever God is doing, would you respond to him as we sing?